Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in today. Hopefully you'll have been with us last week and know that we are uh, in a series just at the start of it looking at the book of Acts and the foundations really of the church. What a great moment just to go back and look at the foundations of the early church and what that means for us in this moment. And so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 and really the central thing that we're going to be picking out through Acts chapter 1 today is that a church that is marked by unity brings hope and witness into a fractured and divided world. But just in order to help us understand that, we need to go back slightly in the story to understand God's heart and his vision for his church. The truth is this, Jesus loves the church. It says in Ephesians that he laid down his life for the church. Not an institution, not a building, but a people. He laid down his life for his people. And even today he is now interceding uh, it says in Hebrews, before the Father for his people. And in and through the church, he is creating a glorious bride who he is coming back for and will wed himself to once and for all time. The church may not always look glorious, but it is God's plan A. The local church is the hope of the world through which the message of Jesus goes out in proclamation and is modelled to a broken, dying and hurting world. There is nothing like the local church. What a privilege it is to be called brothers and sisters in Christ, working out our part in making all things new and belonging to this beautiful bride that is being prepared for glory. Let us never let our vision shrink too small of the church and who she is and who she's becoming and who she will one day become in all of her glory. This bride of Christ that he is winning and that he will be wedded to for all eternity. Let us never let our vision grow too small of the beauty and the hope and the glory of the church. And just before Jesus is betrayed and arrest, arrested in the in the gospel stories, we, we read uh, this famous prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, where he prays to the Father for his people, both in the immediate and into the future. And running right the way through the prayer of Jesus is this theme and this thread and this vision of oneness and unity in the church. Listen to these words of Jesus in verse, John chapter 17, verse 11. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Do you hear what is being ushered in this prayer? That we, the church, would be one as the Father and the Son are one. And the Holy Spirit too, the Godhead, three in one. Jesus in this moment is praying that our unity as the bride of Christ would be equal to that which has eternally existed between the Father and the Son. That this unity that between Jesus and the Father of common purpose and of unqualified love and togetherness would be replicated in the church. Do you hear the call of that? That we may be one even as he and the Father are 
one. What an amazing call and vision of Jesus to, to be a people who are one as Jesus and the Father and the Father and the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit and the Son are together in perfect unison. That's the vision that Jesus carries for his church and the result of which will be joy and witness to the world and a display of God's glory. And at the cross, Jesus makes this unity possible. And as we're going to see today in the early church, it's birthed in Acts. They got hold of this reality that in the DNA and the foundations of the church was birthed this kind of unity that Jesus prays about in John chapter 17 and makes possible through his death and resurrection on the cross. So let's dive into Acts chapter 1. The context here, Jesus has risen from the dead. He spent 40 days witnessing and to his disciples and being with them. And now is his moment. He goes to be with the Father. But he tells his followers, he says, wait. There's a mission that you have to go on to go and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. But before you do, wait. Because the Holy Spirit is going to come and empower you to take the good news of Jesus. And it's into this context that we get to Acts chapter 1, verse 12. So Jesus has ascended to heaven. And it says this, Then they returned to Jerusalem, which is what Jesus had asked them to do. Three years of walking with Jesus. They had learned to do what Jesus said, even when it didn't make a lot of sense to them in the moment. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. And listen to these words. All these, with one, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So they return to Jerusalem and they go to the upper room and they devote themselves to prayer. But listen to this, not only were they praying, but verse 14 tells us this, they were doing so with one accord. These disciples who for so long had felt like they were acting in competition with one another, that they kept on falling out. You read about that in Matthew chapter 20, for example, where what the disciples were indignant at one another. All of a sudden, in this moment, is that as the church is being birthed, they are of one accord. And this phrase, this word that Luke uses in, in the Greek, is almost exclusively used in the book of Acts. He uses it five times in the first five chapters of Acts. It's like a drumbeat that echoes through the birthing of the church. And what we witness in chapter one, that the believers are in one accord, devoting themselves in prayer, is then repeated over and over again in the birthing of the early church, like a drumbeat that results in joy and witness and a display of the glory of God. And by repeating this phrase like a drumbeat, Luke wants us to get hold of something about what is in the foundations of the church, what is in the DNA of the church, so that it will be a pattern and a model for later generations. And the word that is being used here in Greek with one accord means to be of the same passion, of the same burning heart or, or like a fierce and passionate togetherness. It, it, it describes a group who are acting as one. 
It describes a group who are acting in a sense of harmony of views and purpose. And the word that Luke used here is such a clever word. It's actually borrowed from the political sphere of the day. And, and what, it, what it meant in a political context was it's, like a, it's a group that shares a visible and inner unity that is present within a group of people whose togetherness is not based on common personal feelings, but on a cause that is greater than any one individual. And what Luke is emphasising here in chapter one and then repeats it in chapter two, verse one, at the end of chapter two, at the, at the middle of chapter four and in chapter five of this book, as the church is birthed and founded, is that their togetherness is not about any one person's personal feeling, but on a commitment to a cause that is greater than themselves. What a challenge that is to us in the Western world where where for so many of us and the culture that we live in, individuality and individual opinion and individual choice often trumps over the greater cause and mission that we have been catapulted into. Being of one accord means that the common purpose and goal that we have been called into kind of takes precedent in that way over our personal feelings and our togetherness is driven primarily by the mission and the purpose that God has catapulted us into in these days. What happened to this group of disciples that they went from being a bunch of people who were falling out and uh, and frustrated with one another to being of one accord? I think there's three things that happened to them. One, I think they got hold of Jesus's prayer of unity in John chapter 17. They were there, they heard it being spoken. And I think it would have done something in their hearts of realising what it is that Jesus was crying out for, for his bride. The second thing is the death and resurrection of Jesus had changed everything. That they became united about the resurrection of Jesus at the cross remember that God has reconciled us to himself but also us to one another and it's through the cross that our unity is actually even possible and that Jesus achieved something on the cross of bringing us together in unity and love and togetherness so that we can indeed be of one accord but finally as I just mentioned a moment ago There's this sense of common purpose and common mission that the disciples are caught up into. Jesus had given them the words of the Great Commission, go and make disciples. He told them that they were going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And as I read the other day, this great quote, the oxygen that fuels the flame of one accord is a common purpose. The oxygen that fuels the flame of one accord of unity is a common purpose. And so they they become united around the mission that God has got for them to go and be his witnesses and to make disciples to the ends of the earth. We know the story of Acts, they take the gospel to the ends of the known earth. And this drumbeat goes over and over in this early part of Acts. The disciples were of one accord. They were of one accord, right at the heartbeat, at the foundation of the, of, the, of the church as it's established in its moment, in its DNA, is a people of one accord that echo the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. We know that the early church wasn't perfect, don't we? Let, you only have to read about it in 1 Corinthians that a few, years later, they struggled too with 
division. And sadly, church history has too been littered with division and distrust and disharmony, both in the global and the local church. But our vision of unity isn't in the church, isn't driven primarily by history. It's not limited by history, but it's actually driven by Jesus's vision for oneness. And it's driven by the foundations from which we build, which right here at the birthing of the church demonstrate is born out of unity, out of togetherness and a people of one accord for the glory of God and to be witnesses about Jesus to the ends of the earth. And when in a local church we live and operate in one accord, in unity, in togetherness, it actually is in harmony with the origins of the church. It's in harmony with Jesus's prayer for unity. It's in harmony with what Jesus won at the cross. And it's in harmony of what we see here in Acts chapter 1, where they were devoting themselves to prayer in one accord. And that's the vision that we live with for the local church, a people who are acting in one accord with a fierce and passionate togetherness to to go about the work of Jesus, that we might be full of joy, that Jesus's name might be exalted, that he might be glorified and that the world might know uh, who he is. We might be able to witness to the world in one accord. There's something that is being modelled to us in these first few pages of the of the church, in the, in the birthing story, if you like, of the church, which is around a people that are marked by a same passion and a same heart and of unity that Jesus had prayed for in John chapter 17. And we start to see it enacted here right at the start of the journey of the church. And we know, don't we, that we live in a society here in the UK, which is deeply, deeply divided We are so divided along issues of class and race and age in our culture and in our day. And we've seen in recent years just the bitter divisions in our nation over the issue of Brexit, for example. And whilst at the start of this, this global pandemic that we're living in, there was this kind of sense of togetherness and renewed community, some of that seems to be slipping away, if we're being honest. And a recent study states this about the state of our society, the social divisions caused by the COVID pandemic are stark, but we must ensure that these divisions don't fracture society in the long term. There's a longing in society for greater togetherness and unity, but the world lacks the power to do so. As followers of Jesus, we have been given both a mandate and the power to speak and live out a message of unity to a divided and fractured world. That is a powerful witness of the church in this moment, speaking a message of unity and togetherness and living out a community of unity and togetherness that is in direct contrast to, to a society which might long for that but has, the, has, has no power in which to do so and actually fractures along lines of race and class and age and views about pandemic, the church gets a moment to come together and model and display to the world what it means to be united around the death and resurrection of Jesus and with a common purpose in mind. We've been given a mandate by Jesus for church unity. Jesus has won this for us at the cross. 
The church was founded, as we saw in Acts chapter 1, on this passionate and fierce togetherness. We've been given a common goal and a purpose, and now we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out this message in peace and unity and one accord. The reality is none of us can change church history. None of us can go back and change the divisions of the past. And in reality, for most of us, we have very little influence in the unity of the global church. But each one of us can tend carefully to the garden that God has placed us into. And each of us can tend carefully to our own hearts. You see, unity and togetherness isn't actually an organisation-centred thing. It actually flows from the heart of each believer who has a deep desire to lay ourselves down for another and seek to live in harmony and one accord with each other. The reality is, friends, that the last six months, our separation has been incredibly painful. There is distance between us right now because of the pandemic that we are living is. It is hard to feel like a family. There is something that we lose in our togetherness when we're not able to gather easily. And it's good and it's okay and it's right that we should recognise that as a reality. But unity and togetherness and being of one accord is fundamentally an issue of the heart. And despite these days that we're living in where there we will have a degree of separation in the coming days still. We, we can't gather everybody like we would love to. Can I invite each one of us to tend carefully our hearts towards each other in these days? Can I invite and encourage each one of us with our brothers and sisters in the Lord, whether that be in Gateway or wider afield in this great town that God has called us into, to tend our hearts carefully, to do everything to maintain unity of the spirit and to live in this sense of one accord and harmony with those who Jesus has called us to live alongside and live with and that we would live out the oneness that Jesus prayed about in John 17, that we would be one as he and the father and he and the spirit are one, that our oneness would be like that of the Trinity where this perfect love is flowing out from one another, serving and this beautiful love and common purpose that would be known for our story right now. The early church, ultimately, it was a bit chaotic at points and a bit messy, but the kingdom of God advanced powerfully in those days as they lived in one accord, as they learned to live in unity and togetherness and with a deep love for one another. They lived out the prayer of Jesus that they would be one, fueled by the fact that Jesus had reconciled them at the cross and empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit. And in these strange days that we live in, let's hold on to a vision of community that lives in unity and togetherness and with one accord with an unqualified love like that which existed in Acts chapter 1 where they can say all the believers in one accord let's tend carefully to our 
hearts in this day. Let's do all we can as individuals to maintain unity of the spirit. Imagine a church that does that amazingly. Imagine that witness that that speaks into, into a divided and fractured world. I just want to finish uh, by praying this prayer from Romans chapter 15 over us. I'll use my notes instead. Let me pray this over us as a church, over you as an individual as you listen to this. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together or that with one accord, the same word that's being used in Acts 1, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let that be our prayer today. Romans 15, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen. Be blessed and we look forward to seeing you guys very, very soon. Take care.